You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health Podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Hello, and thank you for joining us for a mindful moment. There's never been a better time to build your mindfulness skills. Mindfulness not only improves your mental, emotional, and physical well-being, but provides a foundation for remaining calm during stressful challenges and events. Through mindful thoughts and actions, we can do more than just survive life's challenges. We can continue to thrive. The key to becoming more mindful is simply practice. We hope this podcast will provide you with knowledge, inspiration, and motivation. Working together, we can learn and grow from any experience. So, let's get started. Eight or nine months into this pandemic, depending on where you live, and we seem to have returned yet again to the beginning. While it's shocking to see how the numbers are spiking around the world, it probably shouldn't be. It's a highly contagious virus that we still don't fully understand, and there's no reason to believe that it's going to stop spreading. There is good news, however. While we don't know everything about it yet, we have learned a lot. And treatments have improved, so the number of people dying from the virus is not rising as rapidly as the number of new cases is. And it looks like at least a couple of vaccines will become available on a limited basis within the next couple of months. That's an amazing feat and a miracle to the frontline workers who have been risking their lives all year trying to treat and take care of us. So I'm really relieved that they may have some more protection soon. Even for those of us who won't have access to it for many months to come, it's still a bright hope on what has been a fairly dark horizon over the past few months. We've also learned how we can better protect ourselves, although that's a tough pill to swallow, even though no meds are involved. Can we please consider taking a step back and reevaluating what it means to cover our faces? During cold and flu season every year, we put our hand over our mouth or put our face in the crook of our arm when we cough or sneeze. Everyone knows that coughing or sneezing on someone else could make that person sick. Now we have a virus that is glaringly contagious and from which many people show no symptoms, so could easily be spraying molecules into the air just talking without meaning any harm. Such a simple, simple solution cover our faces at all times when we're out in public. While most people have acclimated to new working conditions or, unfortunately, being unemployed, less purchasing options, and fewer entertainment options, we don't seem to be doing so well with staying apart. And this one's not as simple as covering our faces. People continue to gather in small and large groups, and even though we can see the effect, more positive cases coming out of what are now called super-spreader events, we keep doing it. I think we keep doing it because we are wired for connection. It's a deep, deep need, 
and we miscalculate the risk involved in being with others because that need for connection overrides our better senses. There are also serious health ramifications related to loneliness, so I'm sure there's a risk analysis occurring as people feel depressed or isolated and think that the odds of catching the virus outweigh how bad they may be feeling home alone. And of course, now we have the big holidays approaching, which is when loneliness, isolation, sadness, and depression all increase every year. Cigna's eye-opening study last year showed 61% of those surveyed reported feeling lonely. SocialPro reported this April that specifically due to the coronavirus situation, 27% of Gen Z, 34% of Millennials, 22% of Gen X, and 20% of Baby Boomers always or often feel more lonely than before. Considering that loneliness increases the likelihood of mortality among individuals by 26%, increases risk of heart disease by 29%, increases risk of stroke by 32%, and is more harmful than not exercising, socially distancing is nowhere near as simple of a solution to staying well as covering our faces. Perhaps one answer is to deepen our connection with a smaller number of people until we get through this. I recently talked with Terry Lenowski, educational psychologist and founder of Soulful Listening. Terry is an accomplished thought leader whose body of work in evolutionary communication is impactful and deeply relevant given today's chaos and loneliness pandemic. Terry had the privilege of participating in two events held at the White House, showcasing projects which embraced empathy and design thinking. Through this, along with her own loneliness journey, she created the Soulful Listening Approach, made up of five simple steps anyone can use to create deeper connections. Welcome, Terry. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Teresa. I am so excited to be here, I, and I love the work that you do, and I'm happy to be here to visit with your listeners. Great. Thank you. Well, the first question I have for you is really about something that you refer to called the loneliness epidemic. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's really tragic. A recent study from Cigna indicated that half of the American population is lonely, and surprisingly, the hardest hit are not our elderly, it's our youth. And it has health implications of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And so this is tragic. And that was pre-COVID. So even now it's more accelerated. And the, the loneliness and the isolation that people are feeling is really a significant ache. And it's harmful in so many ways, uh, psychologically, emotionally, physiologically. And so that's, that's kind of what, you know, the landscape of what's going on that inspired me to take a deeper dive into what made the kind of communication that I have meaningful and connected. And it's, you know, I, I just couldn't turn a blind eye. You know, when you look at over 64 million people being lonely, I mean, just sit with that for a minute. And I agree, the, the shutdowns have made it so much drastically worse. I don't think we'll know the full impact for maybe a couple of years after this is over. But in the meantime, people are suffering. So I think anything we can do to help is important. Now, speaking of the loneliness, I know that one of your approaches to this is communications. And I'm wondering, what is soulful listening? 
if you could describe that, because I know that's your program or your platform is called Soulful Listening. So could you tell us about that? Yes, yes. I, you know, I'm going to connect it to what we were just speaking about, the loneliness and the disconnect that people are feeling. And when I really did some soul searching myself, I realized that there were major missing pieces in how we've learned to communicate. And so then I, you know, created the five elements of soulful listening. And it was, you know, beautifully inspired by my grandma Helga. And I, I'll talk a little bit about more about that later on. But the, the five elements, just so we have a framework to, you know, to kind of move forward with our conversation, are self-care is the first element. And you know, oftentimes we don't speak about self-care connected to communication. It is you know, a really significant missing piece. And oftentimes people will think, oh, I don't have time for self-care. And oftentimes it's a misunderstanding of what self-care really means. I mean, just think about times when you've been well-rested, you've had you know, good food in your body, you've been exercising. When we take care of ourselves, it's almost like we can relax into the knowing that we are cared for, we're okay, so we can really be present for someone else in a more robust way. And that leads into the second element of soulful listening, which is becoming fully present. I'm sure that we've all been in situations where we've been with somebody and you can almost see a bubble above their head where they've got a laundry list of things that they're thinking about or their eyes are darting here and there and you know they're not with you. And so becoming fully present is a beautiful gift and it really sets the stage for others to have the courage to become more fully themselves. And then the third element is a combination of active listening and empathy. I kind of say if the two had a baby, it would be this element of soulful listening. And there, there's so much research on the value of empathy. And, you know, there's been a great body of work on active listening, going back what a person is saying. So you are letting them know, this is what I heard, and just kind of checking in and validating is that what you meant to say? And then empathy, I love the Native Amer American poem that goes like this, walk a mile in my moccasins for two full moons so you know where they pinch. And there's a beauty in that when we become present, when we have the space that's open, when we are fully available ourselves, there's a quality that is quite extraordinary. You know, in fact, when we take care of ourselves and become fully present, we bring a quality of grace and compassion into every interaction. And then the fourth element, I kind of call this the secret sauce, and that is inspired action. When we have a connected conversation, oftentimes we'll pick up on something. We can almost have like a bird's eye view of somebody else's life much better than we can our own. And so we make it an insight when we have like a really connected conversation and Maybe we will be inspired to make a phone call on someone's behalf, check into some resources that you can share with an individual, and just remember a time when somebody has taken action on your behalf, no strings attached. Think of how that made you feel. Very, very empowering. Yeah. And then the, the final element is the feedback loop. I'm sure we've had conversations where we felt heard, people are nodding their heads, and then we part ways. And that's the end of it. 
Well, that falls short. And so the feedback loop is when you circle back with an individual and you let them know, hey, you know, I heard what you said and, you know, made, made a call for you and would like to connect the two of you. Or you may have an insight where you can walk alongside a person as they are taking steps more courageously and more boldly into a fuller expression of themselves. And you mentioned that you were motivated or inspired by your grandmother to do this. So what was that about? Okay, so I, that takes me way back to where, where I grew up. And it was, you know, my beginning experience with loneliness and disconnect. I grew up in a, in a small town in southeast Nebraska by the name of Auburn. I lived on the second floor of a mansion, which sounds lovely. My parents had turned the bottom floor into a robust, thriving restaurant. And so beneath me, there were clanging dishes, noisy late night bar crowds, banging, and underneath my bedroom every night. And so for a person that has a little quieter, softer temperament like me, that was pretty much torture. And so there was all of this commotion going on all of the time. And what I wanted more than anything, without even being able to name it, was for somebody to hear me and understand me. And there was one person that did, and that was Grandma Helga. And so in her presence, I felt heard and seen on a level that was so life-impacting. And when I reflected back after I became an adult and got all of these degrees and all of these experiences... What is it that made Grandma Helga so uniquely positioned to really lift up others in her presence? And it was, she exercised self-care. And hers looked like having social gatherings with her lady friends, quiet reading time, time in the kitchen, savory aromas surrounding us, beautiful, quiet moment, Grandma sitting down, looking directly in the eye, and I felt like the rest of the world had disappeared. And so by having that modeled for me, when I was challenged with a limiting sentence, so to speak, my high school guidance counselor, when I went for that senior conversation about what am I going to do next? He said to me, Terry, you're a small town girl. You would get lost in a big city like Lincoln, Nebraska, you need to go to secretarial school and work for your family's restaurant. Fortunately, I had Grandma Helga to go to, to bounce that lie off of. And she said to me, Terry, look at all I've done without education. Think of what you can do with it. And so the power of a soulful listening conversation changed the trajectory of my life forever and all of those that I've touched along the way. Had that not been there, my life would have been squelched into smallness. And so that inspired me to take it even you know, a step further. And because of her, I went on to you know, accomplish some things that are kind of noteworthy. And I was chair of the American Counseling Association Foundation, which represented 40,000 professional counselors nationwide. And then I also was invited to go to the White House twice It was coaching human-centered design teams from across the nation. And so I look at the possibilities that opened up really central to that important, pivotal conversation. And it made me, you know, inspired to, to share kind of a roadmap to create the setting, the environment for these deeper level conversations. 
I think it's very needed in the world, especially today. Lovely. That's just a lovely story. And, and how profound, because I think many, many people don't feel heard. And I know from our practice, you know, we have a coaching practice and a certification program and all kinds of things. And one of the most surprising aspects to most people is that listening is the most important part of communicating and we don't do it well. <laughs> we just don't do it well, but we can learn that skill. So I think that's excellent. One of the things that I read in some of your work had to do with evolutionary communication. And so I'm wondering what role does mindfulness play in that? And what is that evolutionary communication? The, the evolutionary, <clears throat> pardon me, communication is what I have just described. I'm describing to you a way of communicating that does not exist in the world right now. And it is attainable. You know, I've seen in small ways and in large ways by incorporating these, you know, very repeatable steps, it just opens up a world of connection and meaning and higher human potential. So at the center of that, you ask, how is this connected to mindfulness? Only when we are mindful and present can we hold the space for possibilities for someone else. And only then can we hold the space for ourselves, for the possibilities that exist within us, thereby evolving all of us. Yeah, oh, that's profound. So soulful listening really is the evolutionary process. Shifting how we communicate, is that an accurate portrayal? That would be it, shifting how we communicate. And what comes to mind, too, about being mindful and allowing the, the space for the conversation to be what it is. Uh, oftentimes people will go into a conversation having already played out both sides of the conversation. He'll say this, I'll say that, so I'm going to end like this. My advice in that case, don't have the conversation. It's a waste of everything, including emotion, including hopes, including whatever. It just, it limits it. But when we can hold that space and really, really allow the conversation to unfold, magic happens. The soulful listening conversations have the power to change the trajectory of life. Absolutely. I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't know if you have an answer for this. One of the questions I get a lot, we do workshops, and some of the workshops, a lot of the workshops include communications, and we also do a lot of uh, work with Dr. Rosenberg's nonviolent communication, trying to help people be more empathetic and compassionate in their communications. And one of the most frequent questions I get, and again, if you don't know the answer, that's okay. I have not come up with a good answer. Just because you want to do it, if the other person doesn't, is there something you can do? Is there something you can do to engage in the, this kind of communicating at this empathetic level for someone who's kind of shut down to it? Maybe they're totally into ego and it's not their style. Do you have any suggestions for that? Well, in a way I do. You know, when we attempt to become better, when we strive to become better, everything around us becomes better too. That's a quote from the, from the alchemist, but... Um, what I would also say to that is setting healthy boundaries. We can do our part. That's what we're responsible for. We're responsible for being the best version of ourselves that we can be in the moment. And sometimes when you be, bring a more relaxed you into an exchange, it has a way of dramatically shifting, I would call it the energy and the outcome. And so that would be, you know, off the cuff, that would be kind of what I would say, you know, because I'm thinking about difficult conversations I've been in where the other person wasn't playing along with this higher level way of interacting. Right, right. 
you know, we have control over how we respond and react to something. So just you know, be mindful of that and keep on keeping on. Take one more step. Try one more time. Celebrate the small victories. A simple question would just be what actionable steps could you recommend to our listeners to start moving toward this or to, to take the first step or delve into this? What, what would you suggest? Right. Uh, that, that is such a great question. The five elements that I have suggested would certainly be, you know, a place to start. And sometimes we get a little overwhelmed by thinking, I, how can I do all of it? I would just say, take one step. You probably already are, you know, exercising some self-care in your own life. I would challenge you to be aware of when you're doing that and just celebrate yourself. Oh, I'm doing this to take care of myself. Or maybe just slow it down and maybe, you know, when you're doing the dishes, you're just really tuning in and mindful of doing the dishes. And when you're in your whole body, that is really self-care as well. And then go for a walk, you know, some small thing. So it doesn't have to be monumental. Maybe uh, look at a gratitude practice. So when we shift our focus on what we're grateful for, it's as though more of what we're grateful for ends up being in our awareness. Yeah. And and I think anyone can do that. And I do think it's important that people recognize change is not about changing everything at once, right? So I love starting with self-care because I I agree. If you're not well, you, you have less to give to others. So that seems one that would be very easy for people to start with, especially under our current circumstances, right? So just to focus on, you know, what are you already doing to practice self-care, recognizing it as that, and also is there some other thing that you can do? They, it doesn't have to take extra time. It just takes awareness of it, which of course is mindfulness. So, Right. Cool. And then, then there would be one other thing that is just so easy to do. And that would be to take a breath throughout the day. It doesn't have to be, you know, an hour meditation. All of that is wonderful. It can be, I'm breathing in. I'm breathing out. Done. Absolutely. I'm sure my listeners actually probably get exasperated because I tell them every week to breathe, (laughs) but it's so important and it's so powerful. So one thing that we ask all of our experts that come on the show is really uh, twofold. One is to give our listeners ideas, but the second is, is to really reinforce that regardless of how many tools and techniques you have, how many degrees you have, how much practice you do, we're not exempt from getting stressed. Everyone experiences stress. And it's really a matter of being aware that you're getting stressed and then what you do in response to it. And so what we ask all of our guests is, what is your go-to technique when you feel stress rising? It would be the breath. When I feel it in my body, because I've, you know, I've been doing this long enough that I can feel when I'm like just getting ready to tense up, mine ends up being around my neck and shoulder area. And it's like the shoulders are shrinking up and up and up. And it's like, okay. So I'll take a breath and then just consciously in my body, let the shoulders drop and be kind to myself. You know, I love Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection. Mm-hmm. And in it, uh, there was a, there's a really good takeaway, at least for me personally. And it was, you know, kind of an awareness and kind of a challenge. Would you talk to someone else the way you talk to yourself? And that one just, that, that one hit me like a brick. It's like, Oh, well, no, <laughs> I would not do that. And so, so just kind of noticing when your, your thoughts are spiraling in a negative direction and just 
just kind of challenge yourself and maybe even snap your fingers and say, stop and just, you know, recalibrate. Well, I really appreciate you joining us today and sharing all of your wisdom. And if people want to learn more about uh, Soulful Listening, do you want to share your website or any other suggestions of where they should go? The best way to connect with me is through my website, which is soulfullistening.com. And my email address is terry at soulfullistening.com if you'd like to reach out to me personally. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And I hope you stay safe and well. And I know our listeners really appreciate your wisdom. Thank you so much. Self-care, becoming fully present, active listening with empathy, inspired action, and looping back to stay connected. If we can't be with all of those we like and love, we can deepen our relationships with a few to provide us with human connection that we all need. I hope you'll give it some thought for this holiday season. We each have to make a decision regarding our own health, the health of our loved ones, and the health of our communities. I haven't seen my daughter or been able to hug my grandchildren for almost a year, and I don't like it one bit. But under my circumstances and risk level, combined with how terrible they would feel if I got sick, it's the right thing to do in my case. While there's really no excuse not to wear a mask, not seeing your loved ones takes mindful consideration and could have health risks of its own. While the vaccine news is great news, vaccines are not a cure-all, and it's probably still going to be six to eight months before we can even think about living without some sort of accommodations to protect ourselves and others. That's a long time. But in the meantime, remember that we can see each other anytime virtually. We can still talk on the phone, and we can safely spend time with some family and friends on a limited basis if we can stay outdoors with faces covered and staying six to ten feet apart. It's certainly not ideal, and if you live in a cold region, may not be a viable option right now. But if you're in a warmer locale, try it and don't compare it to how it was before. We're not in before. We're in now with a global pandemic raging everywhere. Relatively soon, we'll be back with our tribes in person. But in the meantime, if you're feeling too lonely, try these alternatives. It may stave off the negative health effects and help you feel more connected until we're able to get those long-missed hugs again. Thanks again to our guest, Terry Lenowski, and be sure to check out Soulful Listening. Also, don't forget to join me for Podcast Wellness Week, November 30th to December 4th, for live-streamed panels and sessions, exclusive episodes, daily meditations, and more. Head over to podcastwellnessweek.com to register. My panel session is December 2nd at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and there will be a lot of very useful information from guest speakers on enhancing your well-being from many perspectives all week. It's free through the Podbean app, so be sure to check it out. Find a comfortable position and close your eyes or lower your gaze. Breathe in one, two, three, four, hold for one, two, three, four, exhale, one, two, three, 
four, five, six, seven, eight. Breathe in, one, two, three, four, hold four, one, two, three, four, exhale, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Breathe in, one, two, three, four, hold four, one, two, three, four, exhale, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Now take in a deep cleansing breath and sigh with relief. Have a wonderful week. Life offers too many rich opportunities to just survive it, even during challenging times. Our intention is to support you in thriving through a life of purpose and meaning. We encourage you to meditate every day, be mindful in your daily activities, and please stay safe and be well. Until next time. Please subscribe to A Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee wherever you get your favorite podcasts and rate this podcast so that others can find us. Follow us on social media at Work to Live. A Mindful Moment is written and hosted by Teresa McKee. The Spanish version is translated and recorded by Paola Tile. Intro music, Retreat by Jason Farnham. Outro music, Morning Stroll by Josh Kirsch, Media Right Productions. Breathwork music, Angel's Dream by Akash Gandhi. This podcast is produced by Work to Live Productions. Thank you for tuning in.